is and will remain illegal. We're putting out warrants because they didn't pay their fines. Putting forward legislation that holds offenders accountable. Violate the Constitution. Limits liberty and security. Today, the Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada. The Supreme Court of Canada decision granting Canadians the rights that she was denied. This is Justice Radio, Acumen Law Corporation's podcast. Hi, I'm Paul Doroshenko. I'm a lawyer with Acumen Law Corporation. In the last podcast, I explained to you how one small change that the Conservatives made to the drinking driving law in this country ended up costing taxpayers millions of dollars. It was a matter that was not resolved for over four years until ultimately the Supreme Court of Canada rendered a decision. I want to tell you now about some other things that took place and that arose as a result of that change to the law. Basically, when the government changes a law, they've got high hopes that it's going to accomplish something, but they never seem to think of all of the unintended consequences that can arise. And I'm going to tell you about one of the other unintended consequences, and that is delays in court that have led to other matters being thrown out of court for being before the courts too long. So let's go back and look at what the Conservatives did. They made a change to the law to eliminate something called evidence to the contrary. Now, evidence to the contrary was a fairly rarely used defense in over 08 cases. Essentially, an accused person could testify at the trial and explain what they had to drink. They usually had supporting evidence for that. And then a toxicologist, a scientist, would testify and say, well, based on what they had to drink, their blood alcohol concentration would be whatever it was. And if it was under 80 milligrams, then that in itself would lead to the readings that were obtained on the breathalyzer basically being impeached. Now, evidence to the contrary was written into the criminal code, but really it was something that was designed to address the fact that not all breathalyzers are going to be working perfectly all of the time. Breathalyzers do not properly always represent, well, maybe never exactly represent what your blood alcohol concentration is. Remember, you're testing breath to come to some conclusion about blood. They're two different things. Uh, and it was to recognize that, that, that innocent people can provide a sample that indicates that they were over 80 milligrams. Now, there were people who hated this defense. They were so upset about the fact that it existed. Mostly they were mothers against drunk driving and police officers, and they pressured the government to make this change. And what happened, as I explained in the last podcast, was it took four years to determine whether or not it applied to people who were arrested before the 1st of July 2008. It also took over four years to resolve whether or not that piece of legislation was in itself constitutional. It ended up going to the Supreme Court of Canada. It took, as I said, over four years, and there were cases that were in limbo waiting to determine whether or not it was constitutional, and it was found unconstitutional. In fact, the Supreme Court of Canada looked at it and said, no, you can't just write that somebody's guilty. That's not, you know, that's not the way we, we make laws in this country. You've got a right to defend yourself. And they came up with the conclusion that the right to defend yourself includes demonstrating that the breathalyzer you blew into was either not operated properly or malfunctioning or maybe had a tendency to malfunction. So if you could show that there was a problem with the breath testing rather than explaining what your blood alcohol concentration would have been on your theoretical drinking pattern, that would be sufficient 
to impeach the readings. Now, as lawyers across the country, we looked at this and we said, okay, now what do we do? Well, now what do you do? If you can show that the instrument was not functioning properly or was uh, had a tendency to malfunction or that the police officer who was operating it operated it incorrectly, that would be sufficient. So we all turned our minds to how can we prove this? How could we prove this? Well, disclosure. In Canada, the Charter of Rights stipulates or basically lays out that you're entitled to the presumption of innocence and, and you're entitled to be able to get the evidence to prove that you're innocent. And if the police, the Crown, are the holders of that evidence, then you're entitled to get it. And this case, known as Saint-Ange-Lamoureux, said that, yeah, you know, this is the way you would prove it. So we all started writing to the Crown, lawyers across the country who defend drinking driving cases, started writing to the prosecutors and saying, okay, give me all the records about this approved instrument, about this breathalyzer you've got. Show me all of the maintenance records. Show me the calibration records. Show me the testing that was done on it. Show me any abnormal readings that were done on it. Show me all of the readings from all of the previous people who provided a sample into it and the people who blew into it afterward. So I can determine, or myself and a scientist, can determine whether or not the device is functioning properly. Give us the video of the breath room. Give us all of the notes of the police officer who was the... Uh, technician operating it. What about their notes in previous cases? What about problems, anomalies that other officers who have been operating that instrument have recorded? So that's called disclosure. We wanted all of that. We wanted it to be able to demonstrate, and we still want it actually, because we, we still request all of that in, in these cases now, but we want it to be able to demonstrate that there's a problem with the instrument. Now, of course, that takes time. That costs money, getting all of that material together. You've got a case that normally would be resolved in half a day uh, in court. Now you've got pretrial applications to try and uh, compel the police to provide that disclosure. We started getting that disclosure fairly early on in BC because of a case that uh, was resolved in provincial court that says, yeah, now you're entitled to all of those things. And uh, in one of our earliest cases, uh, we were able to demonstrate actually, well, Ironically, we, we had identified a problem with the BAC Data Master C, which was the approved instrument at the time, uh, and we knew that there was a problem with it, and then we started getting this disclosure, and we were able to demonstrate conclusively that it was a problem with it. In fact, it was a flaw in the design of that instrument. And since then, that instrument was pulled, and it was replaced with another one called the Intoximeters Intox ECIR2, which was the cheapest of the options that were available to the police forces, and they replaced the BAC Data Master C in British Columbia and the Intoximeters, uh, Intoxalizer 5000, uh, rather, in, um, in Alberta and Ontario with the Intox ECIR2. In the very first Intox ECIR2 case that I got, I requested this disclosure, and it was clear on the face of it that the device was malfunctioning. In fact, the prosecutor ultimately conceded that the device was malfunctioning, the instrument was malfunctioning, and, and uh, the case was thrown out. So, you know, on the one hand, lawyers turned around and looked at this thing, and they we sort of picked up our game, and we figured out a whole new line of defense. We also realized that there was a lot of disclosure out there, and those of us who deal with a lot of drinking driving cases became very good at assessing that disclosure to determine whether or not there was a problem with the with the breathalyzer, with the approved instrument. The BAC Data Master C uh, disappeared after that uh, flaw was exposed. Uh, we had placed a video on YouTube to uh, to lay it all out. 
new instrument was brought in. But think about this. Think about the time that it takes for the police to get all of that evidence together. Think of the time that it takes for the police and the prosecutor to look at it and figure out what they're required to disclose. Think of the time that it takes to, to get it together and for the lawyers to be able to get it and analyze it. We're talking about taking a case that might be resolved normally in about nine months and add six months to it. Now, what happens if that matter gets adjourned for some reason, a police officer's uh, on maternity leave or something of the case? Well, now you're looking at uh, drinking driving cases that are taking 24, 36 months before they get to court. And the other thing is, what about the amount of time that it takes in a drinking driving case? So before they changed that law and eliminated evidence to the contrary, most impaired driving cases would be resolved within a day. So it might take three quarters of the court day to resolve it uh, at the trial, calling the evidence and, and getting to a decision from the judge. We noticed that cases basically doubled uh, and sometimes tripled. And, and many drinking driving cases end up, ended up going from being a one-day trial to a three-day trial as a result of the fact that we had to address all of these issues with problems with the breathalyzer. So unintended consequence. The last thing the conservatives and mothers against drunk driving and the police wanted was to turn drinking driving cases from a one-day trial into a three-day trial, but that's what, what happened. That was the practical effect of it. And in British Columbia, the government recognized this by the spring of 2010. They could see what was happening. And uh, as a consequence, they introduced the immediate roadside prohibition scheme. And that was to take all of these cases out of court, stick them into their own tribunal where they had some control over it, uh, and change the, the burden of proof. So no longer would they be required to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt. You now have to prove your case on a balance of probabilities, you've got to prove that you're innocent, but they still hold the disclosure. And then they wrote a law saying this is the disclosure you could get. And, uh, you know, you probably know about that if you've been on our website. But in any event, that was the BC option. Basically, we went from a system that was fairly just dealing with things in provincial court to, to something else altogether. In the rest of the country, what they watched was... Uh, court backlogs getting longer and longer. So no longer was it six months to get to a trial. It now ended up 18 months and then 24 months and then, you know, 36 months. And we're not just talking about drinking driving trials now. We're talking about serious assaults and robbery and that sort of thing. Well, in Canada, you've got a right to a trial in a reasonable time. And uh, quite recently, the Supreme Court of Canada said, that uh, in most cases, 18 months is your reasonable time. And if it ends up going longer than that and what should really be a straightforward case, uh, then you're entitled to have it, have it kicked out by the court, a judicial stay for delay. So we did see in other provinces, more than BC, a lot of judicial stays for drinking driving cases, but also for other cases. And that was a result of the fact that drinking driving cases were clogging up the court. So... The unintended consequence, first unintended consequence I explained in the previous podcast, was the huge cost to taxpayers as a result of that change to the legislation. The other unintended consequence was clogging up the courts, leading to stays, judicial stays of serious matters, not just drinking driving matters, serious matters where there's victims across this country. So if you're looking for someone to blame for the fact that there's a judicial stay, uh, you can go back and blame the conservatives for not thinking this through. 
You can blame mothers against drunk driving, although I'm sure their their hearts were in the right place. You know, the pressure that they put on the government ended up causing this, uh, and uh, and and that's very unfortunate that it went that way. Now, why am I telling you all this? I am explaining it to you because we have a piece of legislation that is now before the House of Commons in Ottawa that is going to make massive changes to the law of drinking and driving in Canada. And the changes that they're proposing, many commentators, not just us, have already pointed out uh, are likely unconstitutional. So we are expecting this to be litigated for years and years and years. And one of the changes that they're trying to make is to make it so we can't get that evidence to show that our clients are are innocent. Well, I can tell you that's not going to stand up to scrutiny at the Supreme Court of Canada. But how many cases are going to end up stayed? How many other cases are going to end up stayed? And what is going to be the cost to us as taxpayers to to litigate this poorly thought out litigation? Millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. Think of what that money could be spent for. And we've got people living on reserves around this country where there's no clean drinking water. We've got millions of children living in poverty. Uh, There's so many good uses for our taxpayer money. But instead, it's going to be spent... Uh, in this uh, battle that's going to end up before the court paying judges and prosecutors and police officers uh, to try and defend legislation that should never be there and is really not necessary. So I wanted to bring those two points to your attention. I thank you for listening to our podcast. Uh, A lot of people are now listening to our podcast and we appreciate that. You can visit us at vancouvercriminallaw.com or acumenlaw.ca, our Vancouver phone number, 604-685-8889, in Richmond, 604-370-3050, in Victoria, 250-384-0100. We defend drinking driving cases all across BC. We defend more immediate roadside prohibition cases than any other law firm This is what we do, and if you have a problem, if you've got a drinking driving case or if you have any criminal case or a driving matter that involves the police, give us a call. We'll do our best to try and help you out. I'm Paul Doroshenko. Thank you very much for listening.